0: episode two of Kitsplaining, a podcast where one woman who grew up obsessed with Knight Rider tries to explain to her wife why it's so great. I'm Julia.
1: And I'm Vicky.
0: And today we're going to talk about season one, episode two, Deadly Maneuvers.
1: I really wanted the title to be a pun, but it's not really.
0: Yeah, like, you know, at least last one was Knight of the Phoenix, but it was, you know, K-N-I-G-H-T. There's a lot of those kind of knight puns. Shall we get into the recap? Sure. Here comes up. Michael, he's got that look like he's in too deep. That's just First
1: of all, there like was the opening that I actually got to see, the real opening this time, not the fake pilot we do not know who this guy is opening it
0: Ah, uh, yes. So this this one actually has the whole shadowy flight voiceover, etc.
1: It basically said he's a good guy and the other guy's are bad guys, I think, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: The criminals who operate above the law. The, the whole foundation apparently operates above the law. Also, sort of vigilante, mercenary stuff this episode uh cold opens with it's nighttime on an army base you see a sign that says like warning ammunition depot or ammunition storage something like that some soldier walks into the ammo depot pokes around at some stuff and gets some blue paint on his hands and freaks out about this so he immediately leaves and gets into his jeep and drives away and then these other soldiers get into their Jeep and drive after him, and eventually run the the first guy off the road. Zero context for any of this.
1: You know, I'm thinking, you know, our 21st century shows, we have, like, blue meth in here, so we only have blue paint.
0: This is the military episode. I think the very special drugs episode is later in the series. Okay. So we cut to Michael and Kit. There's this... Cute little fake out where Kit's telling Michael that he has a 0.04% chance of making it around this next curve, cut to inside, and, and Michael's not actually driving. It turns out he's got like one of those Atari 2600 joysticks in his hands, and he's playing something that looks vaguely like
1: RC Pro-Am. So this is sort of echoes of the future of distracted driving, basically. Oh, totally. Yeah.
0: Apparently they were playing this as a competition, and Kit is way ahead.
1: If you're going to try and like set up a, you know, a fair kind of contest or tournament or something, setting up that it's going to be a driving sim against a car it doesn't seem right I mean, i think you at least want to like play like for the other team like you'd want to play frogger or something where are like you know against the cars
0: <laughs> michael should have asked for a rematch in frogger yeah there we go like, i think so he spots this woman in a military officer's outfit on the side of the road by a stranded car she's cute uh immediately tells kit oh switch over to manual and kit of course says why did you spot a, a pretty woman and michael says of course that being said I'm sure Kit has sensors that could have seen her,
1: but... Um, I don't don't know how much programming Kit has about whether women are attractive or not.
0: (laughs) So it pulls over. It turns out her name is Robin Ladd, and she is the daughter of the commander of this base. You know, just got transferred back from Germany and is going to go surprise your dad. Her car stalled out for whatever reason. Michael says, he'll take a look. Basically pops the hood. There's a bunch of steam. He makes some noises and pokes at some things like he knows what he's doing and then just says okay we'll tow you and kit complains saying i'm not a tow truck this might be damaging to me which i understand like not using kit for his intended purpose but this seems like the kind of thing that he should be able to do
1: fine if you can blow through a garage wall you can tow a passenger vehicle yeah that seems like
0: last time he got dented and that meant he had to get towed so apparently towing somebody else potentially dangerous And, and in fact we find out later on that. It damaged his
1: alpha circuit. I just want to check in on this because this was notable to me. Michael apparently knows nothing about cars. And that, that wasn't clear before whether he was a car aficionado mm. and therefore got this special car or whether he literally knows squat about cars. No. But I'm pretty pretty much convinced at that point that he sort of opened up the hood and was like uh, i
0: pretty sure Steam isn't supposed to come out of there, but you're attractive so I'm going to pretend I know what I'm doing.
1: So so okay, so not only does he have this extremely high-tech car that is apparently high-maintenance at least personality-wise as, as well as, uh, as as well as in terms of its uh, mechanical needs. But he's in, completely incapable of, of managing a, at least the latter. Yeah. And, and it's iffy on the former, as far as we can tell.
0: Yeah. Michael says to her that he works in insurance. I'm sure he knows as much about insurance as he knows about cars. They drop her off. She goes into the base to go see her dad. There's some other dude sitting in the chair. General Dunpton.
1: America runs on Dunpton.
0: Or at least, you know, illegal arms training runs on Dunpton. <laughs> <laughs> um, they tell her they tell Robin that her dad was killed because his jeep crashed somewhere on base it seems that her dad was the guy who got killed in the opening kit says we're not actually here for you to pick up women we actually have a mission that we were assigned to do and this is not it
1: and michael's kind of like eh, if that
0: he's just met this woman on the side of the road just picked her up because her car was stranded and apparently that was enough to get invited to her dad's funeral
1: yeah and at no point is he implying to anybody on the base that they're dating or anything Yeah, he's
0: just there. He goes with Robin in the next scene to basically reenact her dad's crash, which I'm sure isn't traumatic or anything for her, but uh, essentially the story that she's given makes no sense. Michael finds this uh, spent cartridge shell on the side of the road, which is the same one that the bad guys used to shoot out Robin's dad's tire, which made him crash.
1: But how do we figure that out? Or are we just kind of assuming that?
0: Well, I mean, Michael doesn't know that. Michael finds the cartridge, and we saw them shoot out his tires in the cold open. Okay, but Michael's just like, oh, it's a cartridge. Well, yeah.
1: And I, okay, okay. you yeah. know. I didn't Which, miss anything. Actually, there. as
0: Robin points out, like, that finding a spent cartridge on a military base...
1: On a munitions base. Yeah,
0: specifically one that, that handles lots and lots of munitions. Not incredibly suspicious.
1: Yeah, she's kind of like, and...
0: <laughs> but what is suspicious that they don't notice is the bad guys watching them from, you know, some nearby hill through a pair of binoculars, basically saying, hey, isn't that the same guy who was with her earlier? Michael and Kit drop Robin off back at the base. and Michael has to figure out some way to get onto the base without being noticed. Although, you know, he went to... Robin's dad's funeral and didn't apparently need any particular passes for that. Security on the space generally seems really
1: questionable. We're going to dig into sort of the how he gets in and how ridiculous that is in more detail in a little while. But for right now, suffice it to say, he gets in there and he manages to pull a file about what happened um, in this, quote, accident, unquote.
0: Yeah, and it reveals that Robin's dad had blue paint on his hands when he was killed because blue paint
1: scary yeah also i'm sure that after dropping off of a gully and being somewhat blown up or whatever that like the paint would still be an obvious thing
0: the medical examiner is top notch
1: the forensics guy yeah (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly yeah (laughs) they they do you know they do two things well on this base blowing stuff up and autopsies (laughs) (laughs) the bad guys spot him and I'm calling them bad guys because I don't think we generally hear their names and it really doesn't matter, so bad guys. Start chasing Kit in this truck, although they grab an M16, try to drive Kit off the road. Kit cleverly spins 180 degrees, starts driving in the opposite direction, tailgates a car carrier for a little while, does another 180 and then Drives at the bad guys who fire their machine gun, miss entirely, and then crash. The next day, Kit mentions that the home office has arrived. He's radioed back to the foundation to say, hey, my alpha circuit's messed up. And this is the first time we actually see the semi, although it is just an unmarked white semi.
1: Okay, Uh, I still don't know what this is, so.
0: Yeah, it gets a little more decorated, presumably, as they realize this is going to be a recurring set. The outside and the interior pretty much look like something that was put together after somebody spent, like, 20 bucks at the container store. (laughs)
1: All right, that was a lot of spoilers. Spoiler for me there.
0: What, that the truck comes back? Yeah. Okay.
1: No, I mean, like, ongoing? Like, long-term? Yeah,
0: because other things happen that require, you know, mobile assistance. All right. So inside the truck are Devin and and the new character who gets introduced in this episode, Bonnie. Bonnie is basically the genius who had some major hand in putting it together.
1: Now, why we didn't see her in the pilot episode? No idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you even mentioned that the... Kit and Michael's dynamic is a lot friendlier and a lot less antagonistic, even at the very beginning of this episode. Yes,
1: I don't know how, how long... It takes place, in theory, in the world between the pilot and this episode, but I don't think it's, like, the first thing they do. Yeah, I mean, things often change between the pilot and, you know, when it goes to series. Oh, sure. I'm just, you know, imagining that this is a consistent world, you know, just for what the heck. I have to figure that they've been doing this for, you know, a couple months to some point by the time we come back.
0: Time passes. They get friendlier. They start playing video games against each other.
1: I mean, yeah, and Bonnie is certainly a known factor to Michael.
0: She pretty much immediately figures out the only way you could damage the Alpha Circuit is by doing something stupid, like trying to tow another car. Michael pleads the fifth. not actually backs him up, sort of. He, he says no comment. Again, speaking of the dynamic, it's, it's kind of an interesting change. Bonnie goes to work fixing whatever the heck the alpha circuit is, while Devin gives Michael an earful about the fact that he's been... Not doing his job, yeah, basically. basically just on the way to whatever mission he was actually assigned.
1: We never, I don't think we ever actually figure out what it was. Not in this episode, no.
0: And basically choose him out for essentially blowing off what he was assigned to go do something else. And Michael sweet-talks him into saying, give me like another day. Cut to a night shot. We see Michael sneaking into the ammo depot, which is apparently left unlocked, because again, this base is A plus on security. He sees the blue paint and also looks on the wall and sees there's a chart. What we can see of it shows that, you know, the different colors mean different grades of munitions. So blue is like high explosive armor piercing, picks up a random warhead and, you know, gets his key out and scrapes the blue paint a little bit and it comes off and there's yellow underneath. He looks at it and then looks up at the chart on the wall and yellow, turns out...
1: Tactical nukes.
0: Yep. Right around that same time, uh, we see Robin at her job on the base, which is apparently standing around in a computer room and looking at dot matrix printers. Mm.
1: And telling other staff that, that the computers can sense your fear.
0: Yeah, well, she tells that to, to the general. Yeah. And I, to be fair, she's not wrong. And that hasn't really changed.
1: I mean, that was true in the 80s, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure it's gotten much better. Yeah. You, you have to respect the computer. All right. She looks at something that's printing off, rips it off the printer, says, oh my God, and then runs to go see General Dunton. But turns out, I guess Dunton doesn't actually work 24 hours a day. So it's one of the random bad guys who then says he's arresting her for having a classified document, which I don't understand how that works, given that she presumably had access to whatever information that was as
1: part of her job. Yeah, I wouldn't guess just I mean, we don't know exactly who's in charge of what there, but I wouldn't guess she was much lower clearance than him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it turns out that apparently that was basically a pretext because the guy who arrests her isn't actually military police. So we see her shoved into an MP Jeep taken out to the middle of the firing range and they lock her inside a tank.
1: And although she does have handcuffs on, you can just tell by the body mechanics. And I don't know if this was just like they didn't have a stunt person and she didn't want to get hurt or what. But she looks like she's pretty helpful in terms of getting herself into the tent. Yeah, she
0: still looks conscious and doesn't particularly try to brace herself against the opening.
1: No, she kind of let him give her a hand in.
0: And also, since when do those things lock from the outside? It seems like it
1: would be... (laughs) would be poor design for sure
0: maybe that's why they were blowing it up it was it was a prototype and then they realized oh crap we put the locks on the outside the next morning it's day again the bad guys are you know, loading these boxes of supposedly armor piercing shells into a truck they make some offhand mention of customers
1: you know i'm still confused about why the army is selling munitions of any sort particularly
0: also why they needed to disguise them I I mean, I guess, you know, if you're randomly driving around a bunch of armor-piercing shells, I guess that's fine, but if they happen to be nukes, then it's a problem?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't remember exactly the highway laws in the 80s about, like, what level of munitions you're allowed to drive around, but...
0: Michael and Kit show up at the ammo depot where these guys are loading. Kit manages to pin these two guys against the wall. By the butt. Yeah, like we get a good three, four, five-second shot of one of the guys like wiggling his butt against Kit's hood. Like, it's cute. It was, was alright.
1: I, I was, I enjoyed that scene actually. Michael
0: goes into the depot. Like, basically, confronts one of the guys who initially claims he knows nothing. And then Michael grabs one of the pieces of ordnance and threatens the guy into talking by starting to unscrew the top of. The warhead because apparently that would release a bunch of radiation.
1: I mean, I'm convinced that Michael knows about as much about munitions as he knows about cars at this point. So I think he's just like seeing like which part of this moves that's probably bad. The guy certainly I mean, he made a good guess, I guess, maybe. Or maybe just didn't he's like, you know, in general, if you mess with that, it's, that's not gonna be a good thing. But the way that he's doing it, you're almost thinking it's like, you know, is this this nuclear warhead is so sort of like basically a Ramune. You know, he's like, he's gonna pull the top off and you
0: know, so Michael rounds up all the bad guys, locks them in the, the ammo depot, and immediately heads off to the firing range to rescue Robin. First thing he does is have Kit break into some army communication frequency and contact General Dunton, who is really blasé about getting a random call from a civilian on a military line, but basically tells Michael, oh, okay, well, we'll stop this right away, hangs up, and then immediately says okay, you guys see that black car? It's uh, an unmanned drone that's part of this exercise. Three-day pass, so the first team actually blows it up. So they start shooting Kit, and you, there's lots of footage of Kit driving around in, in an empty field with lots of explosions.
1: Yeah, this is a very high explosion. I mean, actually, I don't know. I haven't watched enough I don't know if this is a particularly high explosions episode, but there were certainly a lot of explosions. It's, it's
0: an above-average amount of explosions okay. for this show. Okay. They apparently give up on using regular armor-piercing rounds, and they switch over to heat-seeking missiles. So there's this whole sequence where there's three heat-seeking missiles fired at Kit and Kit demonstrates this ability to shoot flaming fuel out of his exhaust pipe or something, like something out of his back.
1: Not like the smoke from the previous episode that he used in the Demolition Derby. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that was smoke. This is literally like that's, shooting that's flaming gasoline.
1: That's what I'm saying. I mean, we knew that like Kit could shoot stuff out of his back. Yeah, this was... I guess this
0: is more of it. Maybe this is what happens if you light the oil on fire. So, fires that into some shrubbery or whatever to catch that on fire, which decoys the missiles. Well, decoys two of them. We'll mention what happens to the third one. The gun crews have been firing so many shots that they need to go back and get more of these armor-piercing shells. So these random soldiers who are not part of the whole arms trade conspiracy drive back to the ammo depot and say, oh, hey, there's a truck outside that's already loaded with these armor-piercing shells and start bringing them back to the firing range. Michael manages to dodge the shots long enough to basically drive into the area where they're loading them before the crews actually fire any of the tactical nukes. Duncan realizes the jig is up and jumps into one of those things you see in, like, movies that take place in the Arctic. It's like a cab and there's treads but it's just on land and painted brown kit being a pyromaniac in this episode somehow like blow torches the treads so that the vehicle stops and he tries to run michael catches him and then says the dramatic line i think you just lost your pension it's a zinger yeah so at that point after they've arrested everybody in senior command there's one guy who's like a major Uh, who's now, I guess, in charge of the base because everybody else above him is crooked, Who, who walks in while Devin is, again, yelling at Michael for chaos and destruction and recklessness and everything else. Phone rings on the major's desk, major picks it up, and it's the White House. Devin immediately grabs the phone and says, Yes, sir, yes, no, we didn't have any uh, prior intelligence, and basically takes credit for everything Michael's been doing that he was just giving him an earful for. That's good management, I think,
1: right there. I mean, otherwise, they'd have to be paying Michael as an insurance seller consultant or whatever. So, as we had promised, Julia has told me that there are these comedic C-plots that show up in a lot of these. I think we're only rating this one as maybe a B-minus plot because it does have a plot point. But early on, when Michael's trying to get the intelligence to figure out what has happened with this accident, was probably really wasn't an accident, he's decided he needs to get into the offices to see if he can get any information there. So he's sitting with Kit trying to figure it out, and he looks, and there's a food truck of some sort. And he basically sees that that many of the uh, folks from the base are going and buying sandwiches and candy bars from this food truck. And he walks up and buys a candy bar. And then after that, through sequential increments, Increasing amounts of money, buys all the candy bars and all the sandwiches, and then convince the person who runs the truck to shut down the truck for a bit, and then convinces the person who runs the truck to, if asked, claim that Michael is his nephew, and that he's just taking over the business for him for a little bit.
0: The army, feeling great affection for this gentleman who, who feeds them most days, refer to him as Sanj, which I think is supposed to be short for sandwich?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know,
0: that's sensitive.
1: Yeah, they're kind of like cook, but not cooking things.
0: And then Michael actually refers to him as Uncle Sanj, which one of the officers comments on, so I didn't realize the family called him that too.
1: (laughs) So anyway, so Michael comes in with this little like paper chef's hat and a rack of candy bars that looks like the old cigarette girls in the uh, theaters just walks into the base. And when Approach basically says, you know, we're bringing things in today and they're like, wait, who are you and where's your health card?
0: Yeah, apparently Um. everybody who works in the base needs a health card to prove that they're not... I don't know, infectious disease carriers...
1: Right, so um, Mike kind of blows that off and keeps going around, but they're not happy with that, so they drag him into the office with... I don't remember who it is. they up think there the is point. the major at this point. They drag him into the office to be investigated because there's something a little fishy about him coming in and trying to sell these candy bars and not being their regular guy. So Michael goes in there and talking to them about his job, and they are dubious because they have pulled his wallet. And in his wallet, he has a business card for his insurance business. And...
0: A bunch of other things. There's a carpet cleaning business. There's Swedish massage. <laughs> Maybe that's something he knows something about.
1: It's possible, although he th- he says he knows martial arts. Meanwhile, I haven't seen him do anything except punch people. Actually, punching is part of Swedish massage, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's the martial art he learned. He knows <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he learned to Sweetest Massage. So they're very dubious, and then it's like, well, you can call Uncle Sanj yourself, and that's where they're like, oh, re- really, like, the family calls him that? Anyway, apparently they call him, and apparently the money was good enough, because he uh, vouches. And in the meantime, when they're making that call, that's when Michael finds that there's a File on the desk that's relevant to his needs and slips it underneath his candy stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's impressive in its own way. The file definitely clearly reads Ernest Lad. death file or something. Yeah, you know, <laughs> accident investigation. Right. Just just sitting out there in the open. And, and while the this phone calls being made. Michael gives candy bars or whatever to these two soldiers who are in there, and they walk to the other side of the room and turn their backs while they eat the candy bars, which is when Michael then grabs the
1: file. Right. I mean, unlike the guy who, you know, is the food vendor, who apparently needed a significant amount of cash to, you know, be convinced of this plan, these guys apparently can be bought out for like a candy bar. Again, excellent military facility. Oh, yeah. The security is just absolutely uh, top notch. So they do kick him out, but he manages to slip this file under his stuff as he's getting kicked back out and told that next time he'd better bring his health card. So this is a pretty ridiculous bit of plot. I mean, the show is overall relatively lighthearted considering all the sort of damage and death and stuff.
0: Actually, speaking of damage and death, you remember how that plot sort of got tied off at the end. Michael and Kit are being chased by three heat-seeking missiles and Kit farts flaming gasoline onto some underbrush, which successfully decoys two of the missiles. Then Michael wonders where the third one is. Cut to the food truck where Sanj is bitching about the thermostat on his truck not working properly. And then
1: it goes kaboom. Oh, I missed that. I looked back around. Okay, then.
0: Yeah. I mean, we do see Sanj run away and like duck in some grass.
1: But we don't know if all those candy bars went back to him or not. That's the closure I kind of wanted, really.
0: You know, we have to remember the sandwiches we've lost. Well, this is the 80s drive-by, sponsored by Comtron. Comtron, bringing you today's future tomorrow.
1: All right, so what this is going to be is the segment that's highlighting some of the most 80s and or most anachronistic stuff that we're noticing in the show. And the big one that came up for us right now that I saw is when they get into the car first time, when they're moving away from the blowing up car, there are no seatbelts in the car. And we know that in general, Kit has seatbelts because we saw the demolition derby. So we know that they could be available if we needed them. But there's no interest in regular driving down the highway and having any seatbelts. And although we said we weren't going to do a lot of research for the show, we did go ahead and look it up. And in California, seatbelts were not required until 1986 comics. And this particular episode, I don't know the exact date, but it's Are a little bit 81 before. or 82. As I was saying, it's, I was thinking it's probably 82. Yeah, so that's realistic for the time that if you were getting into a car as a passenger, you would not particularly be thinking to put on a seatbelt. I remember as a kid in the 80s, people being so upset because I could get pulled over for no reason. I'm doing absolutely nothing wrong. And just because I'm not wearing a seatbelt, I can get a ticket. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's one thing if you want people to wear seatbelts and they're causing a problem. But if they're not already causing a problem, it's really invasive and the nanny state to be pulling people over for wearing a seatbelt or lack of wearing a seatbelt. I remember that.
0: I had my own personal 80s drive by, which I got to say, Michael's outfit at the funeral. That is definitely not something you see anymore. Brown corduroy jackets, thin red knit ties.
1: I mean, that's like high school picture day.
0: Yeah, except he's a grown man.
1: Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> a funeral on a military base. Well, Yes. <laughs>
0: Unlike seatbelts, that is not anything you're going to see nowadays.
1: Except perhaps
0: ironically. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you think about like 1980s themed parties. Nobody's wearing that. They're wearing like Dayglo spandex and stuff.
1: Yeah, they're wearing like the cool stuff in the 80s.
0: Another thing I noticed during the episode that probably isn't quite a recurring segment, but we've noted before the amount of music licensing of, at the time at least, popular music that gets used in the episode. And Vicky, I don't know if you noticed, the first scene when we see Sanj and he's selling stuff to the soldiers and complaining about his truck's thermostat, he's got a radio. And that radio is playing Ricky Don't Lose That Number by Steely Dan.
1: You're right. It
0: was. I don't know if music licensing for TV was much easier in the 80s or whatnot, but I continue to be impressed at the music they're able to get.
1: Yeah, we may have to start putting together a a Knight Rider soundtrack of the popular pieces that are showing up in these episodes. (laughs) So,
0: sticking. Yeah. After seeing this episode, what's your take on Knight Rider?
1: It's goofier than I thought it was going to be. thought it was going to be a little more of a drama. Mm-hmm. I'm still wondering if we're talking about sort of a new pretty girl in every port, as it were, or if there's going to be any more ongoing relationship type thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm still curious about that if you hadn't told me that Bonnie was going to be an important ongoing character based on what I saw in this episode I wouldn't particularly have noted her
0: she gets called out in the opening credits
1: yeah no I mean I'm just talking about if you just look at sort of the plot of what she was able to do in this plot Mm -hmm. she certainly was the technician who was working on Kit and had a good relationship with Kit but whether she was like the person or not I was not necessarily clear just based on what was happening in the episode yes if you go and look into the credits and whatnot, then obviously you're seeing that and there was this like preview segment that I don't know if it's just part of the dvd or if it would have been shown at the time before the show but obviously she does also appear in that
0: mm-hmm. it's like the opposite of last time on recap it's like a pre-cap of you know you should watch this show because look at all this exciting stuff that's going to happen
1: but i'm still unclear again watching this sort of naively whether i need to remember any of these military guys or not, whether this is sort of a community that's coming back around or whether these are all pretty much throwaway at this point. And if they are not throwaway, if they are coming back around, they haven't done a really good job uniquely presenting their personalities where I'm going to be recognizing clearly what they're like coming back again if they're not throwaways.
0: I'll tell you this much. This show comes from a time before overarching plots.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they're throwaways, then they were fine. But at this stage in a show, and yes, I think you're probably right that I'm somewhat informed by the aesthetic of shows, you know, currently, or at least in the 90s, where you expect some characters in the world to come around, even if it's not like a sitcom sandbox. Letting go that I might even necessarily see any of these folks again, definitely I'm willing to have enjoyed the episode on that basis.
0: I'll have to say from my perspective, I don't remember this episode. I don't think this was one of the ones that I had on VHS. So this was fairly new to me. As is, I believe, the next episode, which is titled Good Day at White Rock.
1: Again, not very punny.
0: No, not at all. The show's still finding its legs, I think, a little bit. We're still introducing major characters. But I think for now, we are going to wrap up this episode of Kit Kitsplaining. Thank you again for listening. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud. Just search for Kit Kitsplaining, K-I-T-T-Splaining. You can thank No More Kings for our intro and outro music, uh, which we are
1: using with permission. Keep your scanners peeled. And don't spoil me. Open the door and jump in.